would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. And we are going again on another episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. I'm your host, independent journalist, Travis William Skink Matier, here with my co-host, partner, and investigator of all the shenanigans in Missoula County and beyond, Allie. Hey. So uh, when you're when you're kind of knocking on the door, of course I didn't hear you because you knock way too quietly. We knock. When I when I answer and I say that this is the last weekend, do, what do you think? My immediate thought was the apocalypse is drawing nigh. And uh, and the answer is yes, but continue. Well, I was thinking, is it the last weekend of March? And then I thought, no, I think there's one more weekend in March, so right. it's not that. So the last weekend, though, the way I said it may have like, had a sort of like a finale kind yeah. of kind of sense to it. Well, we had St. Patty's Day yesterday. We're recording yes. on Saturday. This is March, 18th. whatever, whatever the heck. See, because yesterday was three seventeen day. That's right. So so numbers are important, right, to you, yeah. to the to the way that people maybe interpret the universe in which we exist as humans on this sure. planet. So there's anticipation now growing that on Tuesday, which is three two one two three, so that would be March. Wait, is wait a minute. That's not that doesn't work out. I'll have to consult Twitter. Wait a minute. Yeah, it does. So March is three twenty one is the days in the month, and mm -hmm. twenty three is the year. So do, does three, that work two, out? Three two one two three. Ah. Three, two, one, two, three. So, so the tweet was right. Well, Donald Trump may be arrested on that day. That that is some anticipation now that's brewing. Says he. That's 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 the conversation happening here on a weekend, which might be the last weekend, not because of Donald Trump. And this is important because we're going to be um, taking a trip back in time. So we're going to be actually using a piece of cinema as a time travel in device. A time machine. Yeah, pretty much. And Donald Trump might be a time traveler. And so it all just really helps to put things in context that we're not just talking about Donald Trump being a time traveler and maybe him being arrested by intergalactic, interdimensional beings that are trying to, to get him to stop, um, you know, the blood drinking Satanists from taking over Whoa. the, uh, am I going too far? <laughs> Anyways, I don't think that's the point. I think Monday is actually what we should be thinking about because Monday comes, and that's when markets. Spring. No, no, it's no. It's the first day of spring. Uh, okay, and, th and that's a problem. But that's where I'm going to get ahead of myself. So the banks, we're going to be talking about the banks. We're reviewing the week's headlines. That's the point of what we do on this week in review. Yeah. And so we have local bank conversations to have, but we also have this impending sense of like 
the market's opening on Monday, and according to a zero hedge piece, if uh, Credit Suisse isn't finalized with this like UBS deal, UBS wants to buy Credit Suisse, and if that doesn't happen, a financial apocalypse might be might be Im- impending. It so might it be coming. So it is an apocalypse. Uh, yeah, and it's really kind of annoying the hell out of me because, well, you know, it's just it's like a fear thing that they're trying to push, and I. I like having local headlines to review because yeah. that keeps the focus on, I think, what's important, what you can influence, which sure. continues to be local dynamics. Because we continue to watch boring committee hearings, um, the Missoula Redevelopment Agency. It takes a lot of stamina. Yeah, it does. And usually the excitement of providing public comment is one of the things that gets me through. I was denied that opportunity by the technology utilized by the Missoula Redevelopment Agency. So we have a lot of things to discuss, um, and I'm glad that we can just acknowledge that this could be the last weekend, but we're going to continue doing what we're doing, regardless of what Donald Trump yeah. may be saying, and regardless of what deals might be made among you know gangsters that are bankers that are maybe Satanists behind the scenes. I don't know. Do you think that's really going to happen on Tuesday, Donald <laughs> Trump's imminent arrest? Well, it, it depends. It depends on the belief of the QAnon folks. It does. Or maybe it depends on Q of the Renaissance Fair. But that's a completely different situation. So, so my contention, and, I, and maybe this is not the place to say it, but just real quick, mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. to put this in here. I just have this hunch that if, if anyone in government had cared about the charges for which that he's supposedly being arrested, they would have cared by now. I don't mm. think that people have started magically caring now. Um, and I should people care about? Well, maybe they don't want us to care about the the Q yes. shaman who's still in jail. Maybe they don't want us to care about the laptop that now Hunter Biden is suing the laptop guy that was like, hey, you left your laptop here. It's got some crazy shit on it, you know. Um, and so maybe some of those more nitty gritty things that are happening um, are things that when we're talking about predators in government, I mm. think there it's it's safe to say there is a, a continued interest that as long as there are financial profits off of predatorizing people, it's going to continue. So until we take a hardline stance against it, it's not going to stop. And I agree. Yeah. Would you like to hear a poem? Sure. So this is a poem by William Skink. That is my pseudonym, and it's a adaptation by a poet by the name of William Carlos Williams. So there's a lot of Williams involved in that, and I want to take a take a moment for people to absorb all that William, will I am. But this poem is is important because it's the lead into the first post that we're going to be discussing, and the title of the post is "Did I Decode the Condor?" Well, maybe this maybe this poem will will give you a clue about what happened. So here it goes. <sighs> So much depends upon the white spy fucker glazed in skyscrapers beside the red chickens. Did you enjoy that poem? My brain was trying to comprehend it. Indeed. So will you decode the poem for me as you talk about the post? I will. And you watched the movie and the movie is by Sidney Pollock. And this is a very interesting film that was uh, put out to the public in 1975. And part of what we're doing in going back in time to this Three Days of the Condor, which is based on a book in a condensed timeline, because initially it was Six Days of the Condor. And I actually just got that book sent to me. 
amazing things that technology can do. It's an interesting thing that's happening because I was shocked to see the Twin Towers represented not just visually as sort of part of the backdrop, but as I looked into this movie for this post, I realized that the CIA actually had a had a um, not a real office, but one of the office spaces in the movie is inside the Twin Towers, and that's one of the only times sure. that the Twin Tower Authority or whatever allowed filming inside the building. That was pretty interesting. Um, when you actually start thinking about what the movie is, which is uh, Robert Redford, a actor that you now don't seem to like after watching this film. Yeah. Hmm. It could be because of just the fact there are no really uh, redeemable characters in this movie. No. There are company men. There are uh, a, a mercenary. There's Robert Redford. He's a scholarly type, and he reads books, and that seems to give him an edge when when the mailman slash Nazi-looking guy comes and starts shooting up everyone in yeah. the office. So the movie opens with Robert Redford just being really boisterous. You know, it's he's on a bicycle. He's going multimodal back in the seventies, and that's good. Lunch for the office. Yeah, well, there, there's about a there's about to be an oil crisis, and that might be important. Mm. Hmm. And it's just fun to watch Robert Redford in his. I'm looking at the picture now. The bicycle, and like he's got this scarf, and he's got a blue hat, and it's really cute. And he goes all around New York um, after the office gets shot up and he realizes he may have been onto something with his reports. Hmm. And it's interesting because what did he figure out? So the the company, the CIA, has got a computer back in the 70s. You know, it wasn't like this internet computer thing. But for Robert Redford, he's like, hmm, there's books out there. And some of these books are being translated to different languages. And he, he sensed a pattern, saw some patterns, and was like, there might be something here. He ended up trying to uh, let his superiors know, and that seemed to spark the the killing. The killing of intelligence on intel- intelligence. Like, so smart people, I guess, were killing each other in a certain right. way. Right. They were trying to silence truth coming out. Indeed. One of the things I wanted the reader to consider is the fact that there might be something more going on with the Twin Towers being featured so prominently visually. And there might be something actually hinting at a threat from the CIA because of real-world things happening in the background of this film. Did you know about the church committee? No. I've been thinking a lot about Idaho, which is crazy because the church committee was uh, something that was happening in the the mid-70s. Was it 1975? It's in the post. Um, But it's important because Frank Church is this senator guy from Idaho. And he, he was like, hey, CIA, you're doing some crazy shit. And it's finally starting to get to senators in Idaho and other folks. Oh, I used the F word. You folks. did. Now so it's in your brain. Some other, other people. The church committee essentially forced the CIA to change course. They, they couldn't have as much fun with their black budget, you know, Gladio style, post-Cold War, Cold War or current Cold War ops. It, yeah. gets, it gets all very confusing. But... Um, I think there was a fuse lit. What kind of fuse? Well, the kind that has a wick. So there's a CIA agent, and and he dies. I don't even know if you see him in the movie, but his last name is Wicks. Right. And it's kind of interesting because the Twin Towers, those buildings were finished in 1973. That's when they were completed. The movie came out in 1975. For people that know about the Twin Towers, they ended up falling down. So really weren't built all all that well. But the CIA back then was really interested in the building of the towers because they wanted to have a nice, cool office space, 
um, in which to film their little threat, I think. Could they have had foreknowledge all the way back then that the towers were structurally unsound? <laughs> oh, you know, things are weird. But this movie is a movie that I, I suggest people watch because you can um, take some other things from it, including yeah. the fact that um, Sparrowhawk just happens to, to help the Condor. And it, it yeah. seems to be a very convenient thing. If, if you want to see the shameless promotion of rape culture, I highly recommend this movie. You responded very negatively to seeing <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> so how do you, it, it's interesting because we'll, we're not going to dwell too much on this because we have so much material to cover. <laughs> Robert Redford, his character, Turner, okay, just happens to hold at gunpoint, I guess, the right woman. She is attractive. She decides to go along with the scheme because she 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 okay, finds whoa, some whoa, sensitivity whoa, whoa, within. Whoa, whoa, time oh, out! Oh shit! I already rape, got myself rape in trouble. Culture time out. She goes along with it. I, as I recall, she was held at gunpoint. When's the last time you were held at gunpoint and were just going along with it? <laughs> I feel like any way that I'm going to respond yeah, to this is going to be problematic. So let yes. me just try and place myself in the mind of Faye Dunaway, who plays Sparrowhawk, when she is bound in the bathroom and left alone in the dark by herself. Uh, as Robert yeah, Redford. Kidnapped as, in you know, her own freaking home. Well, well, Turner was having some difficulty trying to ferret out the plot that might just uh, be about an oil crisis and an oil grab yeah, so in, in, the, the meantime, in the Middle East. We're going to have this superfluous scene about like kidnapping and raping a woman because that's awesome. The love scene. It's not a. No, I will. No. I said that knowing I, that. I will tell you what. that I, I had no opinion about Robert Redford before this movie. Bam. I have one now, and anyone who stars in a movie featured as the rapist should probably just go home. Didn't you notice that he did loosen and I think remove the the bindings no, upon her arms? No, it doesn't matter. It, honest to <laughs> it, God, it was fucked up. It, no, it, we shouldn't be laughing and making fun. Um, when you watch some of these older movies and you see some of the things that are jumping out in the modern era of two thousand twenty-three, get an Oscar for it today. Yeah, him and Mr. Trump would be would are probably besties. Well, for us, for us, the viewer, we don't necessarily see it the same way, and it was a bit horrifying, um, especially as she jokingly called herself spy fucker, and so that term spy fucker actually can't comes from the dialogue of the movie, and it's a bit confounding to me. She also said she was drafted, aka she's a prisoner of war in this like oh my goodness. I can't even like even just thinking about it is absurd. So, and I we think have segue not. Maybe. We have not, by the way, come any further. We have possibly regressed past 1975. Honest to God. Well, <laughs> when it comes to riding bicycles, can I can I fast forward us in <laughs> yes, time? Can I, can I use a time yes, machine to get myself should, out of here? Yeah. Okay. You better so, hurry up. In I that like time having machine. time machines that allow me to escape to March 14th, 2023. And that's when a post entitled Illuminating Their Multimodal Insanity was, was posted. And that was a momentous day that day because um, 111 days of snow. Oh, yeah. Isn't the image. It's the headline that greeted readers of this post. I did hear elsewhere it was 123, but so, yes, a lot of days of snow. We were actually getting some coffee, and the yeah. barista was a little annoyed because she knew specifically, I think like many people that wanted the record to be broken, that it, that it literally dropped below yes. an inch just for a day and then went back up. 
Yep. And so the record was 122 days. We really should have been, yeah, we beat that. We absolutely beat that. The point though in the post is that snow oftentimes in Montana is on the ground and the snow in its many different forms becomes slush, it becomes ice, it becomes ponds that require people that, that don't have proper shoes to get piggyback rides across the ponds. <laughs> yes. All of these things happen in Montana and I sometimes wonder if the city planners realize snow happens. I just had this visual when you said that snow on the ground, like on the ground reporting. Mm, it probably because of that like minute and a half of sliding around on ice I did when we had a yes. multimodal walk the other day. Yes. So one image that I'm sorry that you have in your mind because now I'm showing it to you is this goddamn chat algorithm AI stuff and and Gwen Gwen Jones is now represented. You stay with, away from AI. So I did not provide the prompts and that created leave, this image. Leave that poor woman alone. I merely took screenshots of an email that was provided to me by Seriously. an admirer Seriously. of Jones and her leadership. Seriously. Like, I, I have compassion for Miss Jones. So one of the things, though, that I wanted to bring attention to, um, and it's it's interesting because we actually have ward boundaries that are becoming a, a somewhat contested issue here yes. in Missoula, Montana, which is Zoomtown. And part of this public contention gives a little peek into what we already know which is the shit that goes down on wednesdays <clears throat> that's the real shit the shit on monday that's supposed to yeah. be the pr glossy everything is kumbaya kind of shit you're talking about committee meetings on wednesdays and city council meetings on monday evenings that is what i'm talking about with unnecessary and gratuitous profanity that <laughs> is that is what i'm talking about and so um in an article i think it probably was gomer's missoula current um, i'm going to read this quote because i think it's important Jones took issue with the 11th hour lamentations. Oh, yeah, it's definitely Gomer if he's using the word lamentations. At least he spelled yeah, it right. That's biblical. Um, this is the bold part. We should be doing the bulk of our work in committee earlier on rather than later, Jones said. When it's quiet in a committee meeting and something sits there for four weeks and all of a sudden on Monday night, there's all sorts of issues raised. That's not an efficient use of our time and it's not good government. Allie, do you think that's good government? You know what? I'm going to take Gwen Jones' defense on this because, no! because of the creepy AI image. And so I, I feel the need to stand <gasps> up for the underdog in this way. And oh. this is what I'm saying. Point taken in the sense of four meetings passed, nothing's brought up in committee, and then it suddenly sprung. In theory, I'm not saying this is what's actually done in practice, but... What she's saying is if it is true that there's been four meetings and no one brought anything up and then all of a sudden it's new info, I kind of understand that. Do I necessarily believe that that is true all the time? No. So I will give her uh, some points for that is all I can say. Nice. I, uh, I think that uh, city council person Kristen Jordan is very unhappy with changes in her ward and that the character sure. of her ward seems to be so... Um, radically changing that she's not even sure if it's going to be like the same war yeah. moving forward. And I think that um, one of the things that we've kind of discussed recently is the depiction of Daniel Carlino and Kristen Jordan as being the socialist wing of city council. Yeah. Those kind of labels when you're talking about municipal issues that really are snow removal policy kind of stuff, you know, pothole kind of things, right. zoning. Um, it's not always the, the most helpful to try and just have these labels tossed on people. And I would say, so back to what she's talking about here. Yes. 
I believe like the contention would be public input because no very few people from the public are paying attention in those four previous committee meetings. And so only when it hits city council, do people even have an awareness of what's on the agenda? Well, thank you for bringing it back to the, some of the substantive issues because not just public input, but there actually has been some frustration voiced from other city council members that they themselves are responsible for voting to enact war changes and that it right. seems to them to be uncomfortable, but this is the, Again, this is the process they have, just like the process that selected our mayor in the alleyway at two in the morning was the process they had to work with. So we, we do hear some complaints, but those are the constraints that they have. That is the process. That's the game afoot. Yeah. Hmm. There, there is an argument that more notice could be made or more substantive notice could be made on major changes like ward changes uh, mm -hmm. to the public. I, I think it's well within their capacity to do that. So public input is confounding Ellen Buchanan. She is the director of the Missoula Redevelopment Agency, and she was my table chat partner Aww. on Monday at the City Club meeting. I bet that was a blast for everybody. You came in late and had to take I a did. different table position <laughs> within did. that giant conference room at the Doubletree. I think it's the Doubletree. Were you surprised when I texted you that um, Ellen Buchanan chose to sit next to me? I laughed. You had a chuckle. I did. I was, thought it, I. I imagined there would be some some good conversations. Was that an LOL moment in which you laughed out loud? I kind of did. Excellent. That's what I was hoping. Um, I also was hoping to be on my best behavior, and I told Ellen that at one point when I suggested that I could ask Rob Cheney, the editor of the Missoulian, um, why he's not better educating through the newspaper, the public, about the lane reduction, because that's why we were all there sitting in that conference room. Right. The Higgins Lane reduction going from four lanes to three yeah. is very contentious. Businesses downtown are starting to kind of freak out a little bit. And one of the big points of contention among businesses is they didn't know. They were just not, they were not in the loop. Right. This is catching them off guard. At least not soon enough. Not soon enough. The idea of this lane reduction does go back to 2009. That yep. has been verified um, through the master plans. There's so many different master plans. And so the, the process of this idea going through time, starting in 2009, is, is well documented. Yeah, but the time machine, again. The exciting time is now. And part of the excitement is surrounding the two people that sort of, in this kind of, I don't know, is it like a WWF kind of situation in which we've got, um, on this side, representing... Yeah. You know, the businesses that are for the lane reduction plan, yeah. we have Amy McQuilkin from Betty's Divine, seller of cutesy clothing to all of the people in the hotels, maybe even some in the motels, and definitely the college girls. What's yeah. the difference between motels and hotels again? Or the Holiday Inn. Oh, yeah. If you get into some trouble, you can call your friend. Okay. I, is that how the rap song goes? That's not actually how I it goes at all. I truly don't know. We won't get into the differences between hotels and okay, motels. Sorry. Let's <laughs> just say in the hotel arena, more discretionary money to buy very expensive clothing. Got it. Is what I would say. Okay. Also in a hotel, coffee. Oh, yeah. And it just happens to be Amy's husband's business. Um, so Matt McQuilkin. He is one of the co-owners of Black Roast Coffee. I may have gotten the name of that wrong, and if I did, I'm not sorry, because I don't give a shit. I get my coffee anywhere I can get it. I, don't I like drink, it cheap. I don't drink coffee, but I've heard that's good, coffee. You know, it, it, in terms of the, snob, the snobbery level, if you are a total coffee snob, let's say you've just moved here from Seattle or the California coast. 
let's say you're hanging out and you don't mind that tax increment financing gets handed out in a $700,000 chunk to a bank. Let's say you're just sitting there and you just want to have some good fucking coffee for $7.25 or more. Yeah. So I, I think those people would probably enjoy this coffee and they're probably huh. buying some clothes at Betty's Divine. And then you got Amy up there saying, hey guys, in the last couple of years, I made a shit ton of money, even though Bear Track Bridge or whatever the incomprehensible name is for us white people, I, I will try and say that name because ka-ching is the ultimate sound. Ka-ching, ka-ching. That's the sound of the cash register going ka-ching. That sounds a little jaded. It does. In the other corner, we have Otis. A man who sells tobacco. A man who is in the background, in the shadows. Sort of, but not really. A man who once upon a time would, would have bagels and coffee. Not good coffee. Not good tasting coffee. It was bagels on Broadway. He would sit there with Fred von Valkenburg, the county attorney, because Otis is also a private investigator. I don't know if he wants everyone to know that, but now that Otis is in the ring, so to speak, he's in the public arena ring, um, and he provided the opposition to the lane reduction plan and his opposition was really shitty. It was, um, almost a caricature and it almost makes one wonder if one is a suspicious, paranoid conspiracy theorist, if he wasn't just sort of plucked and being like, Hey, Otis, uh, we need some opposition person to stand up on the stage here. Um, so this whole charade can just go forward because, Hey, it's already a done deal. Um, but come on, the, the, the public wants a little bit of an entertainment. They do want to keep it interesting. It was interesting. Because if it, if it was just one side, then it'd be a pretty boring meeting. It'd be like pretty much every other committee meeting. And it wasn't that. It was City Club. It was. And I grant it was a very interesting conversation, fueled somewhat by the questions from the audience. And audience some of the questions, general public members, taxpaying voters. So one of the funny things at my table was the fact that Ellen Buchanan made the first comment, and that was the, the, the first question, essentially. And she she was very coy in saying that she was given the you know the choice, not or not the choice. She was actually forced to ask that question by the table, which was mostly WGM construction company staff and Aaron Wilson one of the transportation planning gurus. Um, but it was up to Ellen, I guess us at the table just really wanted her to ask the question, which was what can the city do better to, to give outreach to the businesses because they're, they're just doing their best. That's a good question. Well, and it's funny because the Missoula redevelopment agency, they actually pay in public money, six pony hitch to come up with a communications plan that's around tax increment financing because they acknowledged this is a couple of years ago now that they are shitty at communicating. So despite this continued deficiency in communicating, hmm, and despite money being given to a private sector company to develop plans, well, gosh darn, Allie, it just doesn't seem to be getting much better. What well, could they? What could they do? Go to social media? You're raising your hand, and I am picking you. Yes, Allie. Thank you. Timing. Mm, timing. Timing would be a huge improvement in communication because a lot yes. of times things happen and then there's a press release about it. There's a newspaper article after the fact. It's like a hindsight thing. Like, and then oh, people by the way, are like, oh, what? This is happening. I feel like that happened with the the evaluation of reaching home oh, last week as yes. well. So there was a newspaper yes. article after the fact. And so any members of the public who would have probably been there in the middle of the day or zooming in didn't really get that opportunity. They can in retrospect, but as far as 
commenting on, on that, most people weren't aware of it. So if they want to improve communication, timing and notice, adequate notice, that's what I would say. You know, that's, um, that's an excellent point. And it's, it's interesting because one of the contradictions inherent in the timing of this whole lane reduction plan announcement is if this was such a big idea going back to 2009, then why, when the State Department of Transportation developed this plan for a four-lane Bear Tracks bridge, why was there not the communication right. between the municipal planners and the state MDT in order to get the, the the plan just finalized and so we're not having to spend an extra 18 million the price tag yeah. for this for this reduction is 18 million and this is after um delays with the bridge construction because they once again whoopsie they cut through like a girder you know and they yeah. had they and then weather oh yeah snow weather weather hampers things well in the material they chose burns fido's paws but we're, we're not even gonna get it get into that because but think how much could in time and money could be saved with some foresight and obviously they're doing the best they can. They are. They are. And that's very that's that's very generous of you. So we're gonna move on. Um, we're not to the Ryan P. Cooney post yet. We have to get to Paris Hilton first. Yes. Um to, to get to Ryan and Don Pagreba, a former Montana blogger who may or may not be teaching in a private school in Hawaii, to get to those guys, we gotta go through Paris Hilton. That's a strange segue. It is a strange segue, and I feel like um, if I was a crass piece of shit, I would find a way to make a joke out of that. Um, but, you know, I'm not on Twitter like Ryan P. Cooney talking shit on Paris Hilton for being some entitled brat because I actually was intrigued before I realized that Paris Hilton was giving written testimony to the Montana State Legislature. Yeah. Um, I was intrigued because the Monarch School came up on my radar, and that's what this post is about. Um, and so... On, let me see, March 15th, we have more Idaho-Montana weirdness. Monarch School, Paris Hilton, and the Kardashians at the lake. Hmm. It's too cold to go to the lake right now, but when it's warm out, the Kardashians like to go to Lake Coeur d'Alene for a vacation. Do you know what's not a vacation? When you are kidnapped at 3 in the morning and taken to yeah. Provo School in Utah. That's not a vacation. That's like a kidnapping. It, it, yeah, that's it, like three days at the Condor. It is of kind stuff. of. It is kind of. And it's fascinating because 60 minutes, not something I generally pay a lot of attention to, but the 20-minute clip that you and I watched yeah. with Paris Hilton and then another victim of a kidnapping enabled by mom and dad signing papers yeah. so that people can break into the room at three in the morning and say, Hey kid, come with us. You're in, going to boarding school in the middle of the woods. And um, you don't know us by the way, we're literally strangers breaking into your home. It's insane. And so I actually wasn't aware in, until the Monarch school popped up unrelated to Paris Hilton. There was a, a podcast. Um, I think it might've been the PSYOP cinema guys, but, but this Monarch school was mentioned. It was shut down, I think in 2017 and it was the school that the second victim in that 60 minutes clip was taken to after she went to the same Paris Hilton, the same school that Paris Hilton was abused yeah. in. Um, and this abuse was keeping them up all night, um, physical, uh, sexual yep. to some degree. I don't know if that was um, directly Paris Hilton's experience, but her testimony to Montana state legislature um, essentially begs for more oversight so that these boarding schools that are out yeah. in the middle of the woods cannot continue operating um, the way they, the way they have been operating. So the Monarch school, like I mentioned has shut down, but when it was operating, it was operating in Heron, Montana. 
And the reason why this is sort of piquing my interest beyond just the fact I don't like it when these types of shitty schools are abusing kids in the state in which I live. Um, This state or this particular location is right on the border of Idaho and it's up there near Sandpoint, near Rathdrum, Idaho, all places that have really started becoming more on my personal radar, knowing that like I have family in Northern Idaho that um, I didn't realize sort of existed out in this area. And then we have David Lynch, this movie maker um, who also is a creep because he had his daughter write a journal about Laura Palmer being a incest sex abuse victim. So not necessarily cheery topics to discuss, but I think is important when you have got jokers on Twitter who teach at a public school in Helena um, to maybe be more sensitive to what's happening in private schools beyond just a political like point scoring opportunity let's actually work to stop abuse before it happens one of the creepiest things from that 20 minute documentary i guess that we watched was the guy defending it oh that's right oh i almost forgot about that yeah guy. that was one of the an most actual father things. who who started a blog supporting these types yeah. of schools because he thought it was beneficial for He's his daughter like the school's cheerleader and he thinks it's really cool to kidnap kids at three in the morning take them to a boarding school sometimes across the globe the other victim was from australia and she's taken to provo utah i mean is that international trafficking anyone well i'm glad you said the t-word because if uh folks how the f-word so you said the t-word and then i use the f-word correlation is not causation but if you go to if you go oh that's a good one if you go to the post and you go to the end I have many posts about the lifeguard group, the group that likes to pretend they are combating human trafficking. And at the very end, there's a great little clip. It's only a minute, 21 seconds. And you got Lowell Hochalter um, in the midst of putting on his ranch shoes, talking about inviting pastors out for steak dinners. And the reason I included that clip is because these, whether it's a school or it's a safe house for victims of trafficking, who's donating? Um, and what kind of expectations do the donors have to these kind of schools? You know, there is a concern in terms of private sector, private schools being off the radar in states like Montana, outside of oversight of state um, or not even having that necessarily effective state oversight agencies. And so, you know, that is a that is a question. And and before we go into the public school arena, um, we're just going to maybe sit here a bit more in the private school arena and say, what can, what more can be done? Yeah, I have a problem with outsourcing problems. And that's really what it what it comes <laughs> down to. Well said. I mean, truly, because people I, I'm I mean, I'm imagining these parents who allow their kids to be kidnapped at three in the morning, which is extremely questionable and CFS should probably be called on them for such a thing. But um yeah, so the idea is like just send them away and then somebody else will take care of it. Like, huh, not sure that works. And also the idea of putting traumatized people in a rural sort of place away from everyone else, well, that could work for interim safety. And I mean like a tw- like an emergency care program, 24 to 48 hours, then get back into integrated living. Right. That's one thing. But to have sustained long-term <laughs> in, in a rural setting without any sort of life-giving holistic relationships i don't know that that works yeah best practices a term um 
that can be used and needs to be looked at in terms of if you're going to be providing, especially for minors, any kind of corrective services in a remote location where they yeah. don't have access to their comfort in terms of relationships, what, sure. they, what they know. Um, the whole thing is just set up for, I think, exploitation. It's ripe for abuse. So I'm glad we're having a more real discussion about it because on Twitter, you don't necessarily get real discussions. You get shit like this. Ryan P. Cooney, and for those that might sound or that, that are listening to the name and are thinking of something, well, now you're going to be thinking of this because I've been thinking about this. This Dr. Seuss, Marvin K. Mooney, I can't get the Gosh. I can't get the title of that book out of my head. Every time I see Ryan P. Cooney, I think of Marvin K. Mooney. I've never read that. It's a Dr. Seuss book, and I if I was better at Photoshop, I would actually be doing some things with Ryan's head because he's got beautiful weird weird Al Yankovic kind of hair. It's very curly, um, and I just like you know it makes me feel like if I grew my hair out, it would kind of look like curly like that. I would just be so hopeful, but let, let's look Wait, at what's Ryan's Dr. Seuss book about, you know, it's about this, this kid that doesn't want to get out of bed probably because he doesn't want to school. He doesn't want to go to school because oh. Ryan Cooney's a public <laughs> school teacher in Helena. And, and he's like, man, I'd rather stay in bed than have Ryan teach me anything. Oh my goodness. Was that, was that good? It was a good transition. That was pretty I'll good. I'll have to read the book. So yeah, maybe we, maybe we can read it together. Okay. So Ryan P. Cooney said on Twitter on March 14th, overheard on, overheard on NPR this morning, dot, 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 quote, Paris Hilton, the it girl of the 2000s, stops by later to talk about her new memoir. Two things, and this is now Ryan commenting, she is an heiress with a sex tape. That does not constitute it girl. And who cares about her memoir? Good God. That's so... <laughs> So both myself and then the education reporter for the Missoulian, Skyler, um, clued Ryan into the fact that she is giving written testimony on a serious subject matter. Wait, so what? I didn't know that part. So this guy got clued in. I know that you yes. had responded, but okay, so he was then made aware of the testimony he's she's writing to the Montana legislature. Yes, um, Skyler Rispins, Rispins. She was more more sort of eloquent in terms of giving some some careful sort of response to Ryan. I was not eloquent. I said, clearly you don't know what the fuck is going on with the abuse of schools like the Monarch School. Maybe if you read my blog tomorrow, you can learn something, Ryan. It includes Paris. And then his response, because lots of mature conversations happen on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter seems extremely dysfunctional. Yeah, no, it's embarrassing. Um, his response to me was, cool, I hope you include her racist, homophobic, and victim-blaming past. Can't wait. And then he, so, he included uh, the hashtag rebrand, which I guess he thinks she's rebranding. What? Um, and that's when I chose to write a post about Ryan P. Cooney. And I found out things like he um, was the Global Educator of the Year. He is the son of Mike Cooney, the Lieutenant Governor wannabe. Um, who made some some famous headlines when he tried to? Do you remember the, the the picture or not the picture? The video of that real cool guy, some Latino guy. He was on like a longboard and he was drinking like some kind of drink, and it was a uh, what? Oh, Fleetwood Mac song was playing. Okay, I do not. I guarantee you, some listeners right now are are familiar with that, and well, maybe maybe when point? we take our break, we'll, yeah. I'll, I will I will show that to I'm you. Curious. So when we come back you will be more familiar with this. Oh, okay. um, and you will see how Mike Cooney tried to get some political points scored on his behalf, taking and, and co-opting this video. It's it's a little embarrassing, not as embarrassing as Ryan Cooney's admission that he knew Don Pograba. Dun, 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 dun. So for anyone listening, if, if, if you know me, 
I used to blog at 420 Blackbirds under the yeah. name Lizard and then William Skink. One of my nemesis. I was not a fan. You were not a fan. At the time. Neither was Don Pagreva, which is weird because ostensibly we were both Democrats, but I was like this progressive outside of the fence line sort of person. And then I went way off the reservation. But back then, Don Pagreva was trying to sort of like mock me because he represents this establishment Democrat person in Montana. He was a hell in a school teacher, debate coach, right. also ran for governor himself in a fake bid to be governor, not because he wanted to be governor, but he wanted to help Brian Schweitzer keep the primary money he raised. Ah. It's one of these weird, obscure Montana laws that if you have a, an opponent, you get mm -hmm. to keep your primary money for the general election. Yep. Well, Don Pagreva, a lowly little public school teacher, just happened to be that candidate. I'm sure Brian thanked him um, before or after he fled to Hawaii to teach at a private school. I don't know. But in my research for this, and then I'll let you get a crack at this, um, in my research for this, I realized that Don Pacreva may no longer be at the Hawaii school. So in 2020 to 2021, that was the year in which he actually was on the directory as teaching at the school. I'm surprised you're keeping tabs on him. Well, I, I looked at the website in order to um, for the for the research, oh, okay. and I didn't see his 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 handsome mug on on the current iteration of the website. Hmm. And so I had to go back in time, another time machine traveling yeah. that I did, and I saw that he was indeed a teacher. So I you know I'm just doing my due diligence as an independent journalist, Allie, okay, including a phone call to oh, the school after I got the timing right, because damn it, I was way off in terms of like Pacific, like yeah, coastal like island. Hours. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten a call back yet, but I wanted okay. to try and confirm if Don Pagreva was still teaching at the private school, Mahawo or whatever. Wow. That's a lot of effort. It is. But you know what? We have to keep an eye on debate coaches, Ali, because Do once we? upon a, yeah, once upon a time, there was a man named Wally Congdon. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. He, he's not just the current um, deputy county attorney of Mineral County. Okay. He's, he's not just a Hall of Fame cowboy. Once upon a time, he was a debate coach. Did you know that? I did. Did you know, well, and, you, and, and I know you know because you read the same article that I did. About you, Highlanders. About cows, Highlander cows. And the fact that the woman that, that controls his herd used to be his student at Hellgate High School. Yeah, I have heard that. That was in the paper. It was? It was written by Monty Turner, the reporter. Was that written by Monty? It was indeed. Oh. Yeah. And so what, what's fascinating about all this is that um, Wally Congdon, uh, user of technology sometimes when when, when, it, it's when it suits him yeah um avoider of technology sometimes maybe because he he's aware when it can be in discovery yeah as a lawyer you know this kind of as someone that has a legal you know background you know this kind of stuff but it it might come to to sort of like the public's attention at some point that this man who is trying to steer the ship of mineral county through the the deep waters of mandamus yeah i mean those are deep <laughs> waters all right so the the it's like a ship and there's like a lighthouse just 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 I, close I, your I eyes and listen <laughs> just listen to my voice okay wally congdon he's on the, the the stern of the ship okay and he's calling out through the fog can anyone hear me and like there's a lighthouse and he's hopeful that he's going to like lead the ship of mineral county i see to it. safety but it's it's a fake fake lighthouse it's actually Ryan Funk's own legal counsel. No. What? Shining the flashlight, trying to distract all of Mineral County from the fact that they have no 
constitutional protections in their entire county. How come in my visualization, like I was, I was tracking with you and it was like a big old boat at night. And yeah. then what you said was like the lighthouse where Ryan Funk is, is a cliff, like a lighthouse on a cliff. But then in between the boat floating across the water and uh -huh. the cliff is a giant iceberg. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And I think the boat's name is the Titanic. Is the iceberg Ellen Donahue? No. Well, I mean, maybe the tip of the iceberg. Is, is, the, ice, is the tip of the iceberg... Um, or, or maybe Mike Toth. I think, I think just in terms of the legal process, you have these things called subpoenas. Mm-hmm. And then you have the the potential testimony of former sheriffs like yeah. Mike Toth, um, and then you have so many other things to consider. You know, conversations um, that that sheriffs that are now carrying that badge and all the power that comes with it. I mean, there's so many expectations when we're when we're thinking about the Constitution in Mineral County. Um, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I I am just excited that Wally Congdon may have more time to spend with his cows. Because if things don't go well for the ship of Mineral County, they are going to crash. And I think Wally's going to have some time to take care of those beautiful, beautiful heifers um, in the fields of Clinton, Montana, where bodies drop. And yeah. Missoula County seems to not necessarily give two shits. But. I'm not much of a pop culture reference person and this is probably pop culture from like 30 years ago, so it doesn't count. Yeah. But I have in my ears internally playing the the lyrics to the song i will go down with this ship <laughs> oh i was hoping um it would be the lyrics to my my bonus jesus song that was in the it's a the, good song the following post i liked it so i may or may not include the jesus song in, in this in this episode should i include it yeah that means there, there's gonna be two songs yeah so I think it's worth a double. We're going to have an intermission song here okay. shortly. And that intermission song is called The Last Weekend. It's oh, it's no. not a very good one, but I'm going to play it anyways. Okay. And then um, we'll come back and we'll continue having a conversation about the week in review. That sounds good. So, oh, we do have, this is the next post. I think we should, before we get to the danger of the Christian savior complex. Yes. I think this is the time to take restroom breaks. I think that's a good um, idea. Have a little bit extra coffee because I know yeah. I have some more coffee. And okay. so so now we are going to have that song that All I told right. you about. I recorded it earlier today. And that's w when I opened the door and I said, it's the last weekend. This is the song I was thinking about because I okay. just yelled it into the microphone. All right. Okay. So listeners, enjoy this song. We will be right back at the conclusion of this tune that I am now going to torture you with. <laughs> Enjoy. What are you doing on the last weekend? Last weekend, I said, what are you doing on the last weekend? Last weekend. Oh, you better believe they want the chaos to descend. Last weekend, go have fun on the last weekend. Maybe take the dog out for a hike on the mountain. This last weekend, get your kicks in, get your kicks in. One more time before the chickens come home to roost. On this last weekend, yeah, yeah. Last weekend, the chickens give you good eggs on this last weekend. They got the sunlight on this last weekend. More, 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 more. Until there's nothing left, that's why. You gotta have a last weekend. All St. Patty's Day was the last weekend. 
last weekend. Okay, and we are back. And you failed my test. Wait, what do you mean? You failed my test. What? You listened to a nice long version of the last weekend song. And then when I, I said, it. when I said I was going to cut it short because it might just be too obnoxious, you, you seem to agree with my assessment. I just said a shorter version is good too. I led you into a trap and I and wanted you to, to include the other song at the end as well. The Jesus song is so much better. Um, and I'm just obviously joking because um, as I rock out with that time, it was a guitar. I, I do actually try and, and self-assess the quality because it there's was, a range of quality when it, it comes to the creative output. As Angela Mastrovito once mentioned in a, in a private communication <laughs> with me, I'm now making public, um, when she also called into question my singing abilities. Hey, hmm. I, I, I can sympathize and relate. Uh, I know, that's right? Okay. That's okay. I know. Okay. Well, you know what? We, uh, we are just born with the voices God gave us. That's and right. We use them in many different ways. And uh, we actually were having a serious conversation off the record about the parameters of how we want to discuss this next post. Because, um, you know, in any post we're discussing, there's a chance for us to sort of expound and go beyond what was written in the, the written words at zoomcron.com. And so with this post, um, there's just, it's interesting. There's a lot happening around this conversation. That's just so much bigger than Missoula, Montana. That's so much bigger than, uh, any one particular church. And if that's any hint about what's coming, well, the title of the post, the danger of the Christian savior complex put out on March 17th, which is the day when some guy named St. Patrick's chased snakes out of, he drove out the snakes. He did. And I don't want to talk about that because you know, whatever, <laughs> I want to talk about what's going on here locally. And We're still talking about driving out snakes. <laughs> oh, yes. Touche. That was good. Um, I'm going to start with the, with the actual written words because we're, we're throwing a lot of shade on a lot of institutions, public and private. And so this is how I kind of framed the, the post for March 17th, 2023. And it goes like this. Is the world for kids essentially a series of shitty choices between which groups of fucked up adults they're going to get abused and exploited by? Well, this post is about the danger of the adults who operate under a Christian savior complex, probably to leverage sexual favors, sexual favors or make money if I had to speculate on the motivations. Uh, I segue into a particular case that we are tracking, and I won't get into the, spe the specifics of that other than to say um, the way the criminal justice system works in any case can be pretty long. And when you're talking about a minor who is being potentially allegedly exploited by her adoptive father, you, you have to wonder what that length of time as it stretches week after week, month after month, right? right? We had this initial sort of charge, oh, this initial situation in which um, the accused was accused of surreptitiously filming his adoptive daughter undressing in her room. This was around, was it August? This was last summer. I think the charge happened in December, and now here we Law are. Law enforcement talked to him last August. Right. And the charges actually became public. Um, in November. In November, that's right. And now here we are sitting in March, and we've had one omnibus case, or have we even had that? Not yet. That will be, I believe, at the end of the month. If it's not, once again, kicked continued. down the... Continued. Continued twice. 
It's been continued twice. Okay, that is a screwed up timeline. So one of the things that we're going to kind of get into, not just the specific cases, and I say that plural because the post ha mentions a couple different cases. There's so many. There are quite a lot. And, you know, people think about the Catholic Church moving around pedophile priests. Okay, that's, that's a frame of reference most everyone now has. Yeah, the documentary Spotlight is amazing, by the way. You should really check it out. Yeah, absolutely. We watched it recently, and it was very, very, uh, not just informative, but inspirational. Because it's amazing how in a, in a valley of 80,000 people... You can have so many fucking churches that seem to be sharing some of the same people and problems as things bounce around like a pinball of abuse. Yeah. You were asked recently, hey, I'm new in town. Uh, I'd like to go to church. Do you have any recommendations? I had a really long pause and I assume what looked to be a deer in the headlights mm -hmm. look. Mm -hmm. And if that didn't scare this person away, I'm not really sure. Sure, what would, but first of all, I'd like to say something that my dad has always said, and I finally do understand what he's saying. We are the church. We don't go to church. And so amen to that. being salt and light can be uh, among individuals, whether in a church building or not. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to congregate where other Christians gather, that's, also, that's a good question. And I think it's an individual question for sure. Um, I, I take issue somewhat with the capital C church these days because of mm -hmm. ways in which they've handled or not handled and abuse situations. What do you mean by that for people that are maybe outside of church culture when you say ah, capital C church? Thank you for calling me out on my Christianese. Yeah. Um, so, so if, especially in America, and I don't know how true this is of the global church, but especially in America, there are thousands of denominations mm -hmm. there are what are called like mainline denominations like lutheran methodist charismatic is a whole like subgroup yeah. i like i didn't even realize yeah. until recently there's like multiple groups within this idea yes. of charismatic so i'm learning this yeah as so we then go, kind and of. then you have catholic you have orthodox you have non-denominational which has 50 million denominations mm -hmm. within it and so <laughs> It's all the same church, though. It's like the capital C church is the cap. When I say the capital C church, I mean the blanket. Ah, yes. Like, over the umbrella. Umbrella of all of these things that identify Christ as Savior, right? Right, right. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not individual church buildings, although a lot of church buildings distinguish themselves from each other because they don't want to be like that church across the street. And, and one of the ways that like, I know this is sort of like popped up is the fact that like you can have some churches get it in very strong disagreements over doctrinaire kind of stuff. Yeah. So interpretations and philosophical differences. And that seems to be where sometimes people are excommunicated. If you're sure. you know abusing people sexually within the congregation, well, you know, maybe you've got some Matthew 18 See, that we can throw down on the victims and try and do some it, victim shaming. Or It is overall, historically to this point, the church has been pretty universal in agreement that their response to abuse is deafening silence. Yeah. I mean, and that shocks me because that should be something that even the secular realm, anyone would agree with. I, I actually hate to say it, but you're probably safer in secular environments when it comes to issues of abuse 
than you are in the church. Yeah, and that's not something that that you you would have even thought of five no. five years ago. Um, but are not. kind of begrudgingly having to say almost as a warning um, yeah. to people that are coming, coming. And it, you know, it's interesting because I am sort of new to some of the local churches in Missoula, in part because the last couple of years, and what I felt was a pretty serious threat to my own children from the secular world, from the trust the science folks, that put me into a lot more proximity to a lot of Christian groups sure. locally. And that's where I've started to realize, well, crap, you know, there's a lot of work everyone needs to do just individually to check their own sort of shadow self. Um, Because if you don't, and then you have a power structure that can't hold itself accountable the way it seems like almost every church in Missoula can't hold itself accountable, then then what you're left with, um, and if a lot of that church has overlap in the criminal justice system, you know, if a lot of the, the, you know, people behind the, the robes actually have badges too, and you have this weird collusion starting to form, it gets really dicey. And for someone that's seeking a re- relationship with God, an authentic, genuine, right. you know, one-on-one experience, I mean, what's the risk of people being turned away from even seeking if they are going to some of these places in Missoula, Montana, they can't get their shit together? Yeah. And, and see, I believe God never condones abuse. And so what happens... Is that like a radical like thought within the church? I didn't think it was. <laughs> I mean, I really didn't think that was. Are, that are, you, was are you taking a, a, a strong, statement. crazy stand that's not supported by scripture no, or something? But what's but if you were to look at the and I say this, I know it's it's a blanket statement. This does not apply to every individual of faith by any means. But as institutions, it does seem like the church condones abuse. I mean, how often has the church, I mean, Capital C Church, a whole bunch of different churches, you can pick any denomination, and I can find you a story about this, where they pay off the perpetrator to, like, resign, Mm -hmm. resign or be fired, and here's your stipend, and we won't sue you, right? Like, just go away quietly and go to this church across the country. That happens all the time. Yeah. So synchronicity is how I play things. And so when I'm aware of someone that came from Colorado Springs, you know, where Ted Haggard was uh, really enjoying the local meth and callboys, when I realize someone involved in that church is in our backyard, um, when I also have conversations with someone recently um, from Moscow, Idaho, where I have family and where there was a little kind of, you know, murder slain going on, um, you know, the warning if were I to give one verbally, especially to anyone listening right now, anyone listening, as a former service provider, having worked at the homeless shelter, the Pavarello Center from 2008 to 2016, is be careful when trying to take your well-intentioned desire, hopefully it's well-intentioned desire, to help people and to maybe provide them stability where they have not had stability be very wary. I've had some conversations um, with people about bringing folks, ah, that word, about bringing individuals struggling with maybe mental health or addiction issues or God knows what else into their home to try and help stabilize them, not having the training and support to actually give a person what they might need. Um, you know, I've since had some questions about how the homeless industrial complex operates. So I'm not saying that the service providers are doing things perfectly by any means, and they're not. No one really is doing um, I think adequate at all, but, um, what we, what we have going here is, 
um, really people that are going to get themselves really deep in situations they then cannot control. I experienced just a little bit of this when I was working in the homeless shelter without the proper training to deal with a young woman um, who was kept in a cage-like situation as, as a young person um, given meth you know, forcibly by the adults in her life. It was a horrific situation that I became aware of that she experienced. Um, and I was told that after I had the sort of direct in the office interaction, was I by myself when I interacted with her? No, I had my supervisor in this space with me sit like sitting there to make sure, um, that like there were appropriate interactions because the history of this individual meant that there were like sort of cues that were, were going on unbeknownst to me. And if I wasn't aware of how sometimes people can act out on things, um, it's just a situation that I would convey to anyone trying to work with marginalized populations that unless you have training and a support system, at the very least, of people with actual clinical training, um, then you're going to get yourself in trouble, no matter how well-intentioned or relying on the Holy Spirit you might be. And, and you've, you've, Ali, you've um, actually had that sort of straddling of um, being able to to see the faith-based amazing miracles that can happen, sure. um, but also worked in the nonprofit where boundaries had to be put in yeah. place for the benefit of kids. And so yeah. you, you have straddled that. There's no one in my mind better to explain the need to walk a careful line than you. Yeah. And it's not the cause, it's the method. So don't think that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, oh, it's not, it's not good to help people. Right. Be afraid of helping people. That's not what we're saying at all. It's the method. Like what, how do you help people in a way that doesn't harm them? I gave a book <laughs> to a client and I didn't realize that giving a gift can be a mixed message and, and can violate a boundary in some ways that can set up a person for a, a sense of betrayal down the line. Like I had to learn that the hard way because I made that mistake. If I had the proper training, instead of just being a you know volunteer that got a direct um, paying gig you know, from that volunteer work, um, I may have been better equipped, but I think it's really important to, to be able to speak from direct experience where you may have made mistakes so that other people don't make the same mistakes. And it's interesting because you're talking about the service sector, which is one thing. The church, I think, is uh, it, it can be somewhat looped into that, but it's also distinguished by the fact that faith holds a lot of power and sway in people's lives. And so... What church can do right now is, one, acknowledge the power dynamics within the congregation. Yeah. If someone walks into a congregation and they automatically, the pastor or the priest is on a pedestal. That's the man or woman of God, likely man of God if you're in this town. But like it's the man of God and a pulpit, and so the voice of God. I mean, although I I personally believe every person's capable of hearing the voice of God individually as mm -hmm. well, but that is a thing that um, it's an elevated status. And so when you see people from the pulpit who don't who tolerate abuse, they may not be advocating for it, but they are tolerating it they're not confronting it within their congregations, then you as a parishioner are sort of, you're under this culture banner. Let's, and who are you to speak out against it? Let's make it even more simple. Okay, there's the, the, the correlation when you're talking about the, the Holy Father, right? Sure. Obviously, this 
patriarchal, if we're talking about, you know, God as sort of like a father figure, right? Mm -hmm. I can speak as an actual father um, with kids. I can, I can speak to the fact, to the effect of um, when I'm not being honest and they catch me in, in a simple, simple point of being dishonest. You know, I, I can't think of a specific situation, but I know how kids are and I know how I was when I was a kid. If I had an adult that I found a discrepancy where I could catch them, especially when I was in the public school system, I loved catching teachers in, in things that were not accurate. So I continue that work in a, in a way where I have a serious question about an organization called the Lifeguard Group and how they can claim they have served a victim they can explicitly claim in print they have served a victim of human trafficking. And then we can come across not one, not two, but like multiple sources that have verified they, the lifeguard group, talking about the Lifehouse, former Crooked Tree Ranch in the Bitterroot, this facility has not served a victim of human trafficking based on multiple sources. Yet this article from December, according to Lowell and Tammy Holcalter themselves, you know, God granted their, their wish and they served a victim of human trafficking. Hallelujah. So when I see a discrepancy like that, and I wonder why, um, you know, newspapers like the Missoulian, I'm, I'm hoping that we get some conventional media starting to get more involved in, in, in asking hard questions, you know, behind the scenes, maybe there already have been some emails sent to the lifeguard group, you know, as a follow-up for reporting. Maybe those emails haven't been responded to. Uh, maybe the more pressure is brought on the lifeguard group and the more questions that are asked by people that have some courage, you know, and questions like, oh, hey, I wonder if this other situation with a, a former sheriff who wants to be mayor, you know, according to the filing, hmm, why hasn't he announced yet? I wonder if some of those questions might get there, might, might get some interest going, um, at least on the political front, since that seems to be part of the um, the way that things will get reported, um, if there's some kind of political angle to get some attention. Um, I don't know what more, though, in terms of indicting someone, in terms of being dishonest with their own words. You know, there, there's not a lot more that we can do to, to show that, um, even according to someone like Detective Guy Baker, talking to the city council here in Missoula, um, that lifehouse is not yet ready to serve victims. Oh, but they're getting inquiries from out of state. They're getting inquiries from out of state, you know, um, inquiries that, so that uh, maybe some, some of the volunteers that are solicited, an electrician solicited, um, you know, what, what kind of background checks are happening with uh, the volunteers you're bringing in, guys? Uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of situation might be developing um, at, a, at a life house? So um, I know we talked about the constraints of how we were going to discuss this post, but we will continue to report on some of the developments, I think. And one of the things now I want to move on to. No, oh, I, I don't want to move on yet. Oh, you don't? It's uh, not, and I have nothing to say about the lifeguard group, but I do have a, a final thing to say about the church. On the big picture, big uh, C church. The big church. C, capital yes. C church, which is you want to change the culture, acknowledge the abuse that's happened. Yep. There are so many victims within the church context who have been uh, gaslit, ostracized, and frankly, even abused further. And if the church wants to see a change, frankly, if the church wants to see revival, there needs to be, an, first of all, a, a complete 
break away from the abusive culture that has been happening and allowed to happen but there needs to be an acknowledgement of the harm done to survivors yeah within the church walls and then you'll start seeing some major breakthrough and i'm not just talking about for the victims of sexual abuse and domestic violence and all of that i'm talking about for the perpetrators as well because there is no breakthrough until there's truth and so I want to see people set free, whether they're the perpetrators or the victims. And the only way to do that is the doorway of truth. So, well, amen. I, I had a picture of, uh, it's funny, Turner was the name of Robert Redford's character, going back to the, the Condor. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy, a homeless guy named John Turner. And I just, for some reason, had the image of him being a kid. And I, yeah, the, the heart you have actually seen how even people that have committed crimes need to have some ability. Uh, ability or room to uh to have actual redemption i mean i i that is an actual space i know ali you talk about with more i think grace and and than i have the ability to to talk about thinking about the the church where my own kids go to from time to time um and some of the people that attend that church but I, I, I take to heart the big C church conversation that you're yeah. trying to, to bring to this. And Jesus gets pissed off about some of the money changer situations yeah, back in the day. And, and that is the segue that I know you've been waiting for. You might not know actually you were waiting for that segue. Um, but now it's the segue you're getting because the bonus post, it was so much fun. Yeah. You know, we try to have a little bit of fun and unfortunately some of these banks try to have some fun too. They try and spend some money filming, videos and the mistake would be to just look at the woke aspect of this and and think that that's the important thing that's part of the culture war so yeah. if you can actually step back from the woke i i need to do this myself and you can understand that we are moving into this banking crisis now at a higher level which might start happening on monday if um the credit suisse deal doesn't go through and so it's really absolutely fascinating that we are in a situation this past week where the missoula redevelopment agency <laughs> they gave $700,000 to, it, I, I mistakenly said it was First Interstate Bank. I think it's First Security, First Security Bank. Bank. First Security Bank. They are consolidating space here in Missoula. They are going to be doing that in the up and coming Midtown District. Super fun, super sexy, awesome guys. Um, $700,000 is going to buy some trees. Like literally, yeah. I don't know where they're going to be shipping these trees in from. Maybe money will grow on those trees. That has been suggested on Twitter. Oh. That because that is an obvious and Some, awesome thing to, to hope for. To no, no, exactly. But that's the hope. If you're going to spend seven hundred thousand dollars for some like herbs and things that beautify, because Did that's you say herbs or herbs, herbs, herb. <laughs> Wait, I mean, curbs? Oh, curbs. I thought. <laughs> so we need to talk about what tax increment financing can actually spend money on. There's something called blight, Ali. Blight. Um, my herbs are not are not blighted, um, <laughs> but the curbs or lack thereof that can be blight. Oh. Um, in fact, according to the definition so by the state, sidewalks can be blighted. The entire Valley of Missoula essentially is blighted. If you want to use the, the funky, funky definition that Ellen Buchanan likes to dial down as she's getting awards. Um, also shout out Ellen. I know I didn't get a chance when I was sitting next to you, um, to congratulate you for the, the, the awards you won, but the fact that you were honored, um, I am going to include that, that beautiful headline in that picture mm -hmm. for the, for the post on Sunday. So when people click on the little button to hear our wonderful voices, they will have seen the picture of Ellen Buchanan that I'm showing you right now nice. because she won an award. And you, you got to really respect someone that in this 
particular time can, can sit in there in that boardroom and can know with the, the sort of confidence that people like me can't make public comment you know, directly, right. with that kind of confidence that $700,000 in change, when I say change, I mean like $11,000, which alone would be awesome mm. for me to acquire, you know, $700,000, it's, it's fantastic. You know, so they have superpowers. They have like mute buttons, and I'm imagining like a blight magic wand. It is pretty incredible. You just point at something, it becomes blighted. You know, one of the things I did offer to Ellen in the table table chat table chat at the city club um, when she was discussing the lack of communication that they were able to sort of deploy. She was discussing the lack of communication. She was. I know, isn't that ironic? Yeah. But do you know what I offered for them to give me money? I'm sure they, I'm sure that they, they would agree about the blight. They would say. <laughs> I, I didn't offer myself as a blighted asset okay. to, to beautify. I just said simply, if you need some help communicating, I know a blogger that really could, could use some. Are they going to hire you as their PR firm? They're not, but I also gave them some light at the end of the tunnel. I explained my love of Legos, of, of toy bricks. And, and I said that like, ultimately my business desire is to have a toy brick business. Um, but I'm not getting an award for toy bricks. Okay. Ellen's getting an award and we're talking about banks because it's a time to give public money to banks. Do you agree? It's happening, but isn't it a perfect time? I suppose so. <laughs> did you, or did you not watch the cringe inducing video that you did not believe me was a real thing? I still don't believe that's a real thing. It's hard for me to believe that that's not satire. I can't believe it's real either. I yeah. And I also think um, you're, you you suspect Donald Trump's impending arrest is also not real. I kind of feel like that's sort of fake. Do you think time travel is real? Um, yes, certainly in Mineral County it is. Well, um, I don't have any way. Any I think there's a portal in Mineral County. So, you know, at, at some point um, in, in the vast collection of books that I had a, an opportunity to show off at a, at a recent open house, at my undisclosed location, there is a actual accounting of Mineral County that talks about some pretty amazing things. And I, at one point, I'm going, <clears throat> I, I want to record some of the, the stories in that book as maybe premium content. But um, in the, the most recent post, so the bonus post that we're trying painfully to get through um, to conclude this episode of Week in Review, and I say that myself just because I'm starting to get scattershot because of the coffee, I think, and oh. the lack of food. But... Um, I find it pretty impressive that sitting there in City Club, the way that the week started, and then to sort of end it on Thursday with the board of director meeting and the inability to make comment. It's just yeah. a, it's a, it's a nice bookend to this week. We have Friday, St. Patty's Day, and now recording Saturday. People will be listening to this possibly Sunday. <clears throat> we don't know what, what the, the following week is going to bring. Yeah. How much more bailouts do you think banks could, can take before pitchforks and torches come out all i can say is don't trust in uncertain riches and we are headed for i see that picture of the titanic again for some reason hmm. visually well i see a picture of someone on a cool missoula morning with a nice tasty cup of coffee the steam is going upwards into the into the ether of the big sky I'm going to read something now, and I'm going to warn you, you might puke in your mouth just a little oh, bit, no. okay? So I didn't realize that the Wren, this new hotel that's ugly as sin, I mean, the, 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 it looked like someone actually did vomit 
the colors onto this building, like the bile that's in your oh, in your stomach. Okay. That's what I kind of imagine got sprayed I'm a onto this hotel. Person. Stop. Well, so inside of that um, that bile building is black coffee, black roasting coffee, the black coffee roasting company. There it is. I'm looking at it now. I want to read something to you. Okay. Are you going to close your eyes and have the visuals? I okay. will, as long as you promise not to say the B word again. Well, I'll do my best. So this is this is from a quote. Okay. It's from an it's an excerpt from a business promotion article. It was at the party of a mutual friend where Matt McQuilkin and Jim Chapman first saw a hole in the Missoula coffee market and had the idea to start their own coffee roastery together. Quote it was one of the few plans made over beers that actually comes to fruition, says McQuilkin. <laughs> <clears throat> Quote, I always pulled coffee from out of town because I couldn't find what I wanted in town, says Chapman. Quote, I knew I wanted to have a part in the flavor development and not just sell what other people did. Oh, yeah. Chapman, Chapman which by the, is the last name of the guy that tried to shoot Reagan, is it not? No, Chapman. Who, who, who did Chapman shoot? Anyways, we'll get back to that. Chapman and McQuilkin hatched their plan in the fall of 2009, and by the following summer, Black Coffee Roasting Company was born, offering organic coffees in Missoula's burgeoning coffee connoisseur community. Say that three times. Con coffee connoisseur community. Coffee connoisseur. Um, the city is a prime contender for a quality coffee scene. Did you know that? Did you know that we're a prime contender for a quality coffee scene? Holy what shit. That, what are we contending against? Okay, well, just listen to this. Here, here's where the description of our fair town comes into play. Are you ready? I think so. Have you, have you prepared your stomach for what might happen? Okay. Missoula is a liberal, artsy, outdoorsy university town of 60,000 nestled in a rocky mountain valley. Subarus and Toyotas line the streets wielding bumper stickers proclaiming keep Missoula weird and know your farmer. Some people joke that Missoula isn't really part of Montana at all. Oh yeah. Is that a joke? That, that's written in all seriousness as a promotion. Well, well no, but I mean is like, is Missoula part of Montana? Let me sip my coffee and contemplate. Is it black coffee, roasted coffee? No, it's liquid planet coffee. Okay. The coffee people who kick ass in this town and stand up against the establishment oligarchy choose. Truly, I didn't know what type of coffee you were drinking. It's liquid drink planet coffee. coffee. And if anyone from liquid planet wants to sponsor this week in review, it's only $275 per episode to, to sponsor your very own episode. Nice. Call me at 406 kick ass. For more details. That's not actually my number. Watch someone do it. Anyways, um, we are getting to the point where a lot of coffee has been had and a lot of words have been spoken into these two microphones. Yeah. Do we have anything we want to add before we get to the Jesus song? Well, if you had any thoughts on final thoughts on the reaching home <sighs> evaluation. Okay, yes. I'd welcome them. Yes. So I was excited to be in sort of an unofficial space, okay, because it wasn't recorded. It still was a Zoom meeting. Oh, yes. But it just wasn't recorded. If it was, the evidence of me being called an expert in the field of homelessness would have been documented. But you and I heard... It's documented. You and I heard that, and so we don't need to talk more about that because you're already concerned about my ego and how vulnerable <laughs> it is to praise. Anyways... 
I think that the document that I printed a hard copy of, so we're actually looking at the analysis by JG Research of the 10-year plan and homelessness. I'm pretty sure this is the only printed copy in the city of Missoula of the 106-page report. Well, I'm, I'm, and I'm really glad you mentioned this because I have so much fun doing things that are like, people just don't even understand. Like, I go to, to FedEx downtown yeah okay not only do i get this thing printed but i talked to the dude who ended up being the guy that went to work when the um the day after the thing was thrown through the window mm -hmm. and i actually reported on this yeah it's cool um and i actually mentioned this at the table when ellen buchanan was right there next to me she didn't really understand the context i hope if she's reading the blog she got a little bit more but it's it's funny because as we talk about safety downtown as we talk about homelessness the lack of the sort of county attorney uh, detention, sheriff's office, nexus, complex, whatever you want to call it. Um, there, there's just so many fun anecdotal stories to share. And the, the story with the FedEx situation, you and I actually on a separate occasion where we just popped in yeah. to FedEx, you were kind of confused because you didn't realize I was just following up on a hunch. Yeah. You thought I, I thought actually you knew. knew. The story. Well, no, I, I saw the, the plywood. You just saw a broken window and you assumed there's some crazy story about a houseless person who might have. I did. Was yeah. that assumption correct? Yeah. Did we hear a Dead crazy on. ass story from the, um, the older woman behind the counter? We did. She was one of the 911 callers when a machete wielding person that we only recently found out we had a previous uh, interaction with. This uh, machete wielding guy was chasing someone else. The, uh, the, yeah. the, the victim went into the FedEx for refuge. The door was shut and they kept the door shut. So the machete wielding guy sort of like I, I, he might have been in berserker mode. I don't know. I wasn't there. But a, uh, a casual bystander getting out of his vehicle on West Broadway was the man that actually had to use yeah. the, the personal firearm to hold this guy until law enforcement could respond. Wasn't he an undercover cop from... Reti state? Retired when, military, I yeah, think. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, what she's, it was. She, um, the woman that we spoke to at yeah. FedEx said that he was retired military. And he's from Washington. From Washington. So when we talk about tourists coming to Missoula, Montana to spend money downtown. It's the wild, wild west, y'all. It really is. So bring a gun if you have one. And you have to be aware that it's not just the multimodal conversations that can get sort of contentious. It's like the, what do we do with the, the meth-induced psychosis of machete-wielding people that don't have stable housing? What, what, what can we do with that kind of stuff? So the next 10-year plan to end homelessness is going to happen. It's going to hopefully have a more realistic title. Um, it will hopefully have more communication to the public about what it intends to do. And if I have any say, it will include the death experiences of people without houses. And we'll learn, <clears throat> we'll learn data stuff. We'll learn crime lab data stuff, maybe coroner slash sheriff department data stuff. There's so much cool data stuff. I'm an English major, so I don't do numbers well. But I suspect if we had real data, we could actually have real answers. There are numbers in this 106 page report in that in that increasing completeness of data truly <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a squishy phrase I've, I've i've highlighted because it just highlights the fact the coordinate entry system wasn't completed for the first four years and so they lack data from the coordinate entry system for its non-existence in that I first see four graphs, years though you do see graphs I do, I do see graphs i don't want to see those at all okay i want to write poems about spy fuckers 
<laughs> it's it's getting to the near to the end of the episode, and I should probably not say Do those kind of phrases before a Jesus rape song. Culture. I won't. Truly. No. I and final boycott, thoughts. Boycott that whatever it was called. Three days of the Condor, and boycott Robert Redford. <laughs> That's my. <laughs> those are my two cents. He's not the guy that does the salad dressing. That's Paul Newman, right? Who? Paul Newman. For some reason, I was thinking of salad dressing. Clearly, I need to eat some food. Okay. Um, my my one piece of food that I put in my yeah. stomach earlier this morning is no longer there. Okay. It's been absorbed through the anger of having to experience this last weekend. Okay. Without um without oh, sun. This is the last weekend. I thought you meant last weekend. This last this last weekend. We are in it. We are in okay. the last weekend. That so, is also a time machine sentence. Like there's a time machine within those mm-hmm. words. Yeah, and and people will be listening to these fine words at a later date. We can't determine that. Wow. They have to choose to to hit some buttons. Are and they then, eternal? I don't know. These are questions that we have to <clears throat> we have to pose to God. And if we found a church <clears throat> that could kind of stop abusing its own congregation. Um, then maybe we could get some of these larger philosophical questions answered. But I, I feel like we do have a lot of work to get some basics done first yeah. before we can move into those larger spaces and Sounds have those good. larger conversations. So I think that is a place to wrap up for the week. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you. And thank you, it's listeners. I know it has been fun. It's been a good one. And this song coming up, you think, is better than the last weekend song. I love it. They're different. They have different glories on each, but I, I'm well, very, very partial to the Jesus song. My my fragile little ego does need some praise, and the more you kind of pet the ego, the less I'm vulnerable to other former sheriff captains who may or may not be listening to these words. This is for all you guys out there. Jesus saves. He can help. You have to ask, though. You have to ask out loud for some help, and maybe this song can can inspire you. Say those words. Until next week, if we are here next week, if we're not in a financial collapse and the internet has shut down and Donald Trump is fighting the good fight but in some deep underground base against the interdimensional beings that want to stop his white hat savior crusade for the glory of mankind, we will be here next week to talk about local headlines. We will be here. We will. Thank you for tuning in. Here's the Jesus song. Adios. Do good. Or just do better. I don't know. I just like to play my ukulele. Jesus, what are your followers gonna do? Could you provide them with a divine clue? Oh, before that other shoe, it falls like an angel up in the sky, rebelling from your divine plan. Jesus, I really don't understand How so many of your flock can be like that They just talk, talk, oh Jesus And I think it's all crap Can you show me Something different I can hold Oh, because this shit is getting old There are no lifeguards around Just LARPing dudes who have a scary frown Jesus, 
What are your followers gonna do? I'd like for you to give them a divine clue For that other shoe It falls like an angel in the sky Oh man, he was really rebellious, Jesus And now he's down here fucking with our minds There are things that could be divine Like love or intercourse But Jesus, you know, your followers They got some issues with that kind of stuff But I really like to know How they compromise that divine glow I'm on the track of some funny LARPers, man they like to pretend they're lending a helping hand. But I don't think that's true. Jesus, what are your followers gonna do? It's really time that you provide them with a divine clue. For that other shoe, it falls like an angel who was really naughty up there in the sky. Oh, Jesus, I don't really like that prince of lies. I am trying to protect my mind and my heart and my soul. But I need your help, Jesus, because there's anger and there's hate that I need to let go. Oh, Jesus, what are your followers going to do? Can they all get a divine clue? So they can help understand how they're forwarding an evil plan. They need to get a clue, Jesus. I would appreciate some help. Really, they can use a lot down here, Jesus. But please don't come in a UFO, Jesus. That is kind of a screwed up show right now, down here, Jesus. It's confusing, Jesus. Help us out. Thank you for any grace you can show us lowly humans how to make it through.